0: Hi everyone, welcome back to another episode of The Raw Show with Michael McDonald and I have a very special guest. We have Jemima Ashley joining me today. Jemima, thanks for being a guest on the show.
1: Oh, thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here.
0: So Jemima is one of Australia's leading entrepreneurs, having built three successful businesses from scratch. She is a highly sought after business consultant, mentor, speaker, and she'll even be releasing her first book this year, which is 2018, for those of you that are listening in the future. So, what I thought we'd do is start with your background, if that's okay, Jemima. So, could you share with us where you were born and what it was like for you growing up?
1: Yeah, so I was uh, raised in... Uh, so, I'm Australian, if you haven't picked up from the accent already. Um, so, I was, grew up in a little town called Munro, and it had about 100 people in it. And uh, we didn't have... Um, we had one school. We didn't have a, a shop Or a pub or any public transport or anything. It was just a little farming community with a school and a hall. So that's where I was born and sort of raised till I was 18 and sort of hit the open road after that very quickly. Um, Childhood was great. I had an adopted sister and a stepdad and a a mum and uh, they both worked full time. So I got a really, really strong work ethic from them Um, and we also had a farm. So I think a lot of it was what would become a really really strong work ethic in me was built sort of by watching my parents have full-time careers and then also running a farm on the side all right so where
0: where did things go from there then so from from what i know of yourself Jermaine, is you actually managed to work in the police force so how did that come about
1: Yeah. So my dad was actually a police officer for 44 years. So it's kind of in my blood. Um, So it was kind of a guarantee that I was going to head there at some point. My first uh, memory of me and my dad kind of hanging out was um, I was... About three or four years old, and he was working on some homicide files that I found, <laughs> and I was just sort of drawing on the back of them, and my mum losing her mind in the background, going, "You can't tell a four-year-old that," and I was perfectly fine with it I was like, "This is obviously normal." So um yeah, I left home at eighteen, moved to uh, Melbourne in Victoria, so I went to university there and studied. Uh, I've got a couple of university degrees under my belt, but my first one was in security, spe- uh, specializing in, na- in um, national security, and. Uh, Then went on to do fraud investigations and criminal intelligence and got a master's in that. So, yeah, then I ended up in the police force. So my first job outside of of while I was at university and studying was working in a prison, which then led to the court system. And then I joined the police force a few years later.
0: Right, So it didn't seem, at least from what you said about your, your dad being in, in the forces as well, it didn't seem like a, a bit of a, a, well, at least much of a learning curve for you then. So you've gone to, <clears throat> to university, you studied it, and then your dad was in there as well. It didn't, it didn't at least appear to me to be a, a big step up for you.
1: No, it was fantastic. I loved it. Um, I knew this was what I wanted to do. It was something I loved doing. Um, and I did it for 10 years. Loved it. I traveled the world um, working in law enforcement. I got to work with agencies all over the world. Got to work in you know, criminal intelligence fields, working profiling, learned a few languages along the way. Got to travel a lot internationally um, and also domestically in here in Australia. And I got to about the age of 30 and I just got very, very tired um, and what I realised is that I was, you know, the one thing in law enforcement no one tells you is no one's ever having a good day. You've either got people who have been arrested um, or you've got victims um, who have had something awful happen to them or family of victims. Um, it's, it's never happy, like we're never investigating who stole the most puppies. It's always something slightly more... <laughs> horrible yeah. um and i yeah i was working in um sort of federal law enforcement so i worked in sort of human trafficking for a long time and counterterrorism so they were fun days in the office and i got to 30 and i just realized i was very very tired um and not sort of just like i need to have a good sleep just feeling a little bit burnt out i think from law enforcement so um yeah that's when things dramatically change
0: it's, it's almost like um the news isn't it whereby if it's always negative. It's very rarely you hear good news on on, on the news. Is it? it's, it's normally the the bad news that seems to make it, and you probably get the the full force of that being in the. Uh, it's almost like the receiving end of those sorts of stories. So
1: yeah, it kind yeah.
0: of been it kind of been easy.
1: No, it was it was difficult. Um, it was difficult. This was what I was raised in, and um, one of the things that I learned really early on was, um, I started compartmentalising my life. So you know, I had my work which I couldn't speak about outside of work. So it was just, I had only work, even, you know, I couldn't talk to my partner about it, couldn't talk to my husband. Um, he'd later become my husband. I couldn't talk to these people about the things that were going on, you know, for eight hours a day. Um, and sometimes it was 12, 15, you know, 20 hours a day. So yeah, it was um, around that time that I had a bit of a chance encounter that would sort of change everything uh, very, very quickly for me and sort of leave into entrepreneurship.
0: So... What was it like outside of the forces, then? Because you mentioned that you couldn't actually have conversations with anybody about the work that you were doing. So, what sort of conversations did you actually have? I mean, maybe you can, because there could be people that that have a similar situation with, by they're in a job or even a business that, <clears throat> even though they love it, it's got to a point where like they can't really. It's hard to have conversations with people about something different because that's all they spend their time doing but with yourself is that you can't actually have those conversations so what was that like?
1: Yeah so I think there's a bit of a split there um, you know that you're talking about I think that you know you should never have entrepreneurial conversations with people who aren't entrepreneurs like so that's part of sort of what you're talking about there that you've, yeah. you know you've, you just can't talk to your um, regular friends who do nine to five about business things they don't care and they're not supposed to so also good for you to think about something else but um, the other thing that sort of came out for me during that time was, you know, I'd have, I, I had a I remember one day specifically dealing with sort of a life or death situation at work and in that particular matter, it had resulted in a death and it had felt like a failure. Like it was an artifact, like that's a bad day for me. Um, it's pretty hard to write on me. And uh, especially when your benchmark is death, no <laughs> away. so like I have pretty, I'm pretty level most of the time when it comes to things, but I remember leaving work and we had a, um, a bit of a ritual in the office when you had a bad day, there was kind of a daycare centre that was near this coffee shop. And if you sat at the coffee shop, you could actually hear the kids playing. And it sort of gave us this reason that why we were doing what we, this terrible work that no one should be doing for a long period of time. And I just remember sitting there listening to the kids playing and then, you know, ever the boss saying, all right, time to go back to the office and dealing in this really crappy situation. And um, packing up my desk that night and going out with friends for dinner and everyone was just sitting there talking about their boss and like, oh, my boss was such a jerk today. He made me stay for an extra 20 minutes or, um, oh, the budget hasn't quite lined up. And so go, oh, I'm just so stressed. And I'm looking at these people going, Are you guys kidding? Like, okay, how is this? <laughs> okay, so this is a normal person's conversation. I was like, right, wow, this, is, this is difficult. And um, yeah, it was very much, you know, I couldn't, you know, I'd watch things that were happening in the news and know that I'd have involvement in that. And um, I couldn't tell anyone. Or my mother-in-law mentioned a pretty prominent case that was in the Australian media at the time. And, you know, I had a lot to do with that. And she's like, oh, have you been watching this case? I'm like, yes, I have. <laughs> yeah. From the inside, it can't yeah, say yeah. anything. Yes, yeah. want of secrecy. So it's very, it's very unique situation to be in sometimes.
0: Was there anything that you, you did to... To get around that, or was because you you mentioned that you you had a h- handful of times where you you've had those moments, you know, like you, you've mm. not had to to talk about things, you've not had to to have those sorts of conversations. Did you come up with any like tricks or or tips so that it actually helps you engage with people outside of that? Because it's it's easy for, for me to turn around and say that it's hard for me to talk to people who who are entrepreneurs, mm. but then you've got people that that can, and then you've got people like yourself that. Genuinely can't talk about these things for whether it be for professional reasons or or just courtesy or whatever the case is So have you got any tricks for people that are struggling to have those conversations?
1: Yeah, I think that you know, I guess it's a, if you if you're unable to talk about what you're talking about there are, If you if you explain that clearly um, you know, there'll be if you if someone's pushing you, I guess, for information, sort of saying, Oh, so what do you do? And you want to shut that down, there's a really quick way of shutting that down is just saying, Look, I actually, can't speak about it due to the, you know, due to issues. So you can shut that down pretty quickly. And if you're hold firm on that, I found people just kind of respect that. Um, but if you're in the situation where you can't talk about work, but you need to, because you know, things are starting to get a bit overwhelming, um, you know, there are certainly in most of those kind of roles there are there is professional assistance kind of available um and if there's times where you're sitting there and you're looking around the table and your friends are all having a bad day but you've had a very bad day um Mm -hmm. it's not a great piece of advice i'd give but wine does help in those situations (laughs) um but also just you know under being because you can i guess sometimes think be a bit resentful to them but they don't know that's kind of the really big big key if you can't talk about your stuff you can't have you can't expect other people to understand what's going on especially if you can't talk about it so it's kind of having that dual perspective okay well i'm taking everything you're saying with a grain of salt and i understand that you mean no disservice also you can hopefully come in and give them some perspective as well
0: yeah, I quite, I quite like when you say that it's hard to to complain, I guess, or to have the opinion that people don't understand where you're coming from if you don't actually communicate it. So so, so sometimes, like, <clears throat> I mean, I know I've been guilty of this, where I've sort of said, well, why, why don't they get it? You know, why don't they understand? Why can't they see? And sometimes it's, it's Tend to go down this road of well, maybe like we're expecting too much. Maybe you know we're trying to think that they're thinking the same thing that we're thinking. I know it's a bit of a a roundabout way of thinking about it, but sometimes we can assume that people know even if they don't actually know. So hopefully, yeah, hopefully people that are listening will probably take that and use that. But yeah, add something that the wrong truth for me when you said that. So what What made you leave? Like you, you were there for for ten years and Mm. then. It was, I mean, there are loads of people that do keep working, I guess, even though they get to to that certain point. But what was the the tipping point for you?
1: Yeah, it was a a combination of things that really happened kind of back-to-back for me to want to leave. Um, I, you know, I've got a book coming out later in the year, sort of August, September time, and um, sort of write a massive kind of chapter on this. But there's sort of a bunch of stuff happened to -to back-to-back. But I think the thing that really kind of drew attention to me we had a um so as you would probably know australia has some pretty strict gun laws and um uh, after a result of a um an incident that happened in 1996 in australia in tasmania in port Arthur, and uh, we have some pretty strict gun control laws now so there was actually a shooting that happened in sydney um and uh, an accountant who was leaving um police headquarters he, just, he worked in finance he wasn't even a cop was unfortunately shot and killed in Australia and that was that was a little bit too co- close to home um, yeah. because it was just an attack against a police force made by ISIS. That was kind of like a big start of a tipping point. Um, also around the same time is that I had started to do improv classes or impro classes. So I had discovered for the first time in my entire life coming from a very um blue collar kind of family and law enforcement family that there was creative careers that could be made and you could have a job that wasn't nine to five and that you could have a bit of fun on the side as well so I signed up to do sort of some classes just as a bit of a stress release and I'd moved to a new city called Canberra um in Australia and so I'd met a whole bunch of new people it was to make you know, broaden my network. I started to meet people that were doing fun and interesting things that weren't doing this nine to five grind anymore. Um, and that kind of culminated, so I started new classes. So I'm meeting people. Some of these people are full time actors, full time directors, full time screenwriters. And this is really interesting to me because this is the first real time I've met people who do creative stuff. Also, work is now looking a little bit more depressing. We've got, you know, people who are being shot. I'm seeing dead bodies. I'm seeing decom, de-com- Compartmentalized life, and I'm getting a bit exhausted by this process. Um, and then, yeah, the tipping point absolutely, I was working in, uh, I was on a bit of a working holiday in Manhattan, uh, in New York, and um, happened to meet a silversmith. Just the apartment that I happened to be renting was directly below someone who made jewelry in a jewelry s- studio. And for a couple of days, I stayed through the window at this poor guy, um, and I swear this is the only time in the history of the planet that stalking has paid off. But he, was, he banged on the window after you know, days of this young woman just kind of staring at the window through him. He was sort of this 75-year-old grumpy dude. It's like, what are <laughs> you doing? I'm like, what are you doing? So I sat with him and made a ring that night. And he showed me how to play with metal. And I immediately knew this was something I wanted to do. And that was the start of my first business. So I came back to Australia and started a business almost immediately.
0: What? Well, what's the first business that you decided to start with?
1: Well, I went from law enforcement to creating jewelry, becoming a silversmith and making jewelry. So the brand was called Tang's Design. It still exists now, tangsdesign.com.au. Um, and I still make jewelry to this day. I love it, but that was kind of my first place in uh, entrepreneur land. Started a business, had never had business experience before. And threw myself as I had with everything else that I've ever done fully into it. So I started, you know, consuming everything I could get my hands on, on how to run a business. What does business look like? You know, I was reading all these things like business is hard for the first year, you need to get a tribe, you need to create, um, you know, how to create a website, you have to learn how to do social media. And I just ducked to water, just decided this is what I wanted to do now. So all my attention and focus went onto this new thing. And it was probably the best thing I've ever done.
0: What were the things that you, you learned most? Because the first business tends to be where everything tends to hockey stick, everything tends to really shoot up, the learning curve isn't really a curve, it's more just straight up and, and hope that you can manage it. So what was it like for you?
1: A um, little overwhelming to start with. It was <laughs> absolutely it was just overwhelming. Uh, yeah, so I'd never had any business experience before. I'd never known anyone that really had had a business. Everyone that I knew worked in corporate. And I had to navigate this new location very, very quickly. So I did that in a few ways. Um, A lot of it was just consuming as much as I could um you know podcasting was huge for me i listened to a lot of podcasts a lot of youtubes i found gary vaynerchuk very very quickly early on in the piece i listened to a lot of uh, tony robbins and realized how quickly and i think this is a real big key to the success that i've had but i learned really quickly that business and personal development were so closely intertwined if you weren't working on yourself and you weren't working on your business then you were just going a bit stagnant um Yeah, just consumed, I became a bit of a junkie, uh, like seminar junkie. I go to any seminar, any, you know, free conference, any of this sort of stuff that I could get my hands on as well. And that's when I decided that I need to start networking and meeting other business owners. So that was sort of the next step in the process. So,
0: yeah, you went down this process of trying to learn as much as you could, trying to consume as much as you could so that you could just just handle it, I guess. Was was it a case of you thinking that you needed to, to know it to, to be able to to do it was it more of a, a learning curve for you like you had to learn something new so you you decided to to dive in what what caused that
1: um I'd say it's probably a combination of both I didn't feel comfortable uh starting a business and not really knowing what I was talking about that for me was a little bit uncomfortable right like yeah. just oh I've gone from this career that I'm I'm, I'm I've got awards in, and I'm celebrated in, and I've got degrees in, and then going into business. And you know, the buy-in for entrepreneurship, and it's something that I don't think is spoken about enough, is the buy-in for entrepreneurship is so low. It is twenty dollars and a you know and a smartphone, and you can really start a business straight away. So I wanted to make sure that I was setting myself up for the best possible outcome and everything that I was reading saying, was saying, you know, 90% of businesses fail in the first five years, 95% of businesses fail in the first five years. Like the the data was absolutely showing that, you know, most people aren't around in five years. So I really wanted to give myself the best shot. Um, But what I found that there was no central place for information and there was no one. The other thing is everyone made entrepreneurship look glamorous. They made it look so great. Instagram, was so um, misleading i guess would be the word so um yeah we're recording at the moment it's 10 30 at night where i am at the moment and it's middle of winter it's freezing cold Mm -hmm. um you know i get up at five o'clock every morning and it's now you know 10 30 at night for me like this is entrepreneurship this is being in your pajamas and sometimes having to do interviews it is getting up at 5 a.m it is meeting those deadlines where you need to meet them it is a lot of work. And I think for me, I started to really see very quickly and dispel a lot of those things that I was seeing as maybe not being hundred percent accurate either.
0: So what caused you to, I'm assuming of course, that you did change businesses and I was still there now. So maybe you just added the, the string to your bow, so to speak. What was next?
1: So, um, yeah. So the big realization for me was that there was no central point for information. I found that there were so many business owners who weren't finding the right tools and weren't finding the right things. So the next step for me um, was I wanted to create a database or create something where I could share the things that I was learning because I was starting to meet other business owners who needed help. And I thought, okay, what is the one way I can do this? Now I'm a pretty solid writer, but I'm a very good talker. So I went, I'm going to start a podcast. So I Googled it because that's what you do when you decide you're going to try something new is I Googled how to start a podcast and I (laughs) did that. And so I created um, a podcast in collaboration with a girlfriend of mine, Siobhan Joyce. We created um, a podcast called the business experiment. The business experiment is now in over 70 countries. We've been downloaded thousands and thousands and thousands of times. We had a reach of, you know, 4 million just on Facebook alone. Like we grew very quickly with that podcast and this became um, in the number two business podcast in Australia. Like we, we hit a lot of amazing milestones very quickly Um, and we are aware that there was, you know, there was a bit of luck and a bit of great timing, but what we realized is the content we were providing was perfect. Exactly what we should have been providing at the time. So that was kind of the next step in the entrepreneur process. I accidentally started a jewelry business where I just went, I'm going to make this for myself and I loved it um and you know people started buying jewelry and friends of friends of friends started buying jewelry and I went oh, I'll put some of this online and it kept selling itself and I didn't really have to push it and then consumed all this information about business trying to make my other business bigger and went, I'm going to be helpful and share this to other people and that grew so quickly as well so sort of had these two businesses that um yeah just kind of trucked along it was um very much in alignment with what I wanted to do and you know where I was going to go with my career.
0: So just out of curiosity, when did you start your podcast? How far back are we going? And as a bit of a second question for that would be, what do you think was the reason why it grew? I mean, from, from my own experience with starting things early? Is that that can play a big part for me? So if I'm early enough on something and I and I dive in when things are slow, sort of ride the wave, so to speak, when everyone jumps on it. Was that the same for you, or did you have anything that stood you about which meant that the the reach that you were able to get was actually attainable for you at that time?
1: Yeah. So we started um, Applecast in twenty sixteen. So I wouldn't say we were sort of too early off the mark um podcasting i think we're going to see even now i think we're going to see an additional further and further rise we're seeing you know the stats are telling us at the moment that 80 percent of the data that we consume um and the information we consume in the future in the next five years will be through video uh but what we're now seeing is people creating videos and ripping the audio off and making podcasts so i think we will actually even outgrow the video stat i think podcasting will still continue to grow and is still going to continue to grow um What I think we did differently was we talked no nonsense. And the other thing that we did was we were exactly who we were in person and we were unapologetic about that. But we made, we put a spin on different things. Like we actually saw a gap in the market, which was, and this was probably fundamentally the big thing we did, is that we recognised that no one was talking about the real of being in business. No one talked about, you know, again, the 10 p.m. being in pyjamas doing an interview. We didn't talk about having to get up at 5 a.m. because you have so many emails that your computer might actually explode. Um, We didn't talk, no one was talking about the fact that Instagram was fake or that, you know, you were the sum of the five people you spend the most time with. You could find this information, but it wasn't in a central location. So we started talking about what it was actually like to start businesses, and we documented our journey throughout that, so people had a buy-in because they knew who we were. We that we t- we outlined what we were going to do, and people were interested in it. We're also funny. That was probably didn't help. It didn't hurt the situation. We also had accents of Australian to Australian women, so also funny um, and also interesting to listen to. And I think between just a lot of work and a lot of luck, we sort of created this perfect alignment time where we happened to, you know, network at the same time and work our butts off to go and meet people and, you know, invite people to come on the podcast. And, you know, at first we were begging for people to be guests on the podcast and then it organically happened itself. So we did a perfect combination of thought leadership. We're talking about our own ideas and talking about things we liked or we didn't like about specific things and also bringing amazing guests on to talk about their point of view. So we had a nice healthy split, I think.
0: Yeah, definitely. So what, what sort of spurred this on then? So you created the Business Experiment podcast
1: mm. as a
0: result of people struggling with finding the information that they wanted, the information that they needed, the resources, the tools, the tips, the strategies, all those kinds of yeah. things that people were struggling with. Did that catapult you down a particular area? So once you started the podcast... What did that cause? Because oh, up to now, as far as this conversation goes, you've gone from making jewellery to starting a podcast. So take us to, to where the podcast took you.
1: The next level, yeah. So um, what happened really quickly was I, what, it all kind of came to a bit of a head really quickly. So all the things I'd done previously, like working in law enforcement and um, you know, working as profiler and working as an analyst – Coupled with now doing improv skills and creativity, immediately landed me in a great position where I would run, a, you know, I'd run a service-based business, being the podcast, and also run a product-based business, which gave me really good um, sort of credence as a business coach because I've now built these two stellar businesses very quickly back to back. With great results and that we're actually making money in the first 12 months. So um, what ends up happening is I end up sort of becoming a bit of a mentor and helping other people and, you know, just reaching out. People were asking these questions regularly. Um, and then the next step of that was because I was doing so many um, little interviews and doing, you know, uh, to this to little videos and we we're doing this podcast is people then say, can you help me MC an event? Can you come and help host something? And because I'd done improv and acting now, I was very comfortable being on stage, regardless of how many people were in the room. I never hesitated. I would love speaking. I love going out there and doing things um, and love presenting particularly and doing keynote speeches. And so it sort of was this perfect alignment for me to kind of take the next step in now mentoring people and being a speaker.
0: So the, the podcast was what catapulted you down this idea, okay, I'm going to help other people, with their businesses, because I've got the there are multiple different businesses that you started. So it's not like you've just gone down <clears throat> the service-based route. It's not like you've just made mm. a product and marketed it and advertised it and, and went that way. You've done both. So yeah. I, I quite like the um, variety that you've got. And I guess the podcast as well would help with the, the speaking side as well. I know it's definitely helped me over the coming months of starting my own podcast, which is what you're on now. But um, yeah, it's, it sounds like you've got a vast vast variety of things that that you have done. So how how did you take that and then turn that into a business because I know a lot of people that say okay I'm going to do I'm going to start to to help others with their businesses now and then that's probably when they start to then struggle the most so what, what, what was your journey like
1: yeah so mine was a little bit organic again just kind of falling into this alignment of where I needed to be um so the business experiment wrapped up at the end of 2017 so after 18 months we kind of said all right, we've kind of nailed this topic. The other thing is our other businesses were getting a little bit more hectic and we're growing as humans. And, you know, there's only so much time you can talk about the business real and kind of give business tips and tricks for people in the first five years of business. We'd really nailed the topic after, you know, 50-odd episodes. So um, I sort of stood back and kind of looked at this, what I – what I was able to do, and a lot of the things that I'd done, is you know I'd built businesses predominantly out of social media. That sort of when did a bit of analysis and went, yeah, I'm very good at social media, I'm very good at making videos. And you know I had to take a step back, right? You really have to kind of have a look at you know really analyze your skill set. I think people don't take enough time to recognize what they're good at and what they're bad at. So I had to sort of have, take a few steps back, right, and go, right, where am I succeeding? Where am I failing? What am I loving? What am I hating? And really analyzing that, just having a bit of time out and sort of digging into that a little. So um, then I went, yeah, you know what? I'm, I'm working as a mentor. I've been doing it for the podcast, acknowledging what that was and acknowledging that I, want, I loved speaking and this is what I wanted to do. And I think um, where it sort of came together for me was being able to recognise that where my strengths were and where my weaknesses were because I think when people have these failures, when they try to start outsourcing and trying to, you know, help other people is we haven't analysed in ourselves what we're good at and what we're terrible at. So I got really clear about that and realised what I loved doing, what I hated doing because I think people get to the point and it's particularly my experience with a lot of my clients that they think they should, that that's the next step, but it's actually not what they really wanted to do.
0: So what questions did you use to distinguish between what, you wanted to do and what maybe you could actually do because I know there's there is a bit of a difference between Mm. things that you want but then you know reality might just hit you in the face and say I'm going to need a bit more time first and maybe you need to learn a bit more maybe need a bit more practice before you can actually go out and do those things how do you distinguish between like strengths weaknesses and uh, the things that you could maybe practice or or learn about
1: yeah so what I did is um I used a hack that I'd learned Uh, many years ago from Jillian Michaels. um, She was on The Biggest Loser of the US for a long time. She wrote a book on Unlimited. And I'd read this hack in there once and I had sort of filed it away. So the first thing I did was really clear with what I liked doing. Um, because I think a lot of people, we try to do too much and we don't, we keep holding onto stuff we don't like doing because we're like, Oh no, it's fine. I have to do it. You don't actually, there's VAs or other people who can help you. You can outsource a lot more work than you think you can. So, um, the trick was this, is that I set an alarm on my phone for every 30 minutes and every 30 minutes, um, the, the little alarm would go off and I would analyze what I'd done in the last 30 minutes. And I had three categories, things I loved, things I hated. And things that were okay so i had it i got really clear on it so one of the things that came up i really liked being on podcasts i really liked talking really liked speaking i liked being on the phone i you know again we're seeing we're seeing a trend here right this is all stuff from talking i didn't like paperwork i didn't like doing emails i didn't like photocopying stuff i didn't like became very clear to me i didn't like paperwork i liked responding to emails and i liked communicating with someone else but again i started to get very clear on that and when I could drill, so this goes on. You do this for a long enough, about two-week period, you will start to see some really clear patterns in what you like, what you hate, and what things you're not really, you don't really care for. The things that you tend to like doing are things that you tend to be good at. The things that you hate doing are things that you need to have some work on. So what I did is looked at the list of things particularly that I needed to work on and realized there were things in there I hated. I hated doing accounting. I had no interest in learning zero. I had no interest in learning stuff. It's like, I can spend the next 50 hours of my life learning how to do this thing that I don't even want to do, or I can just outsource it. Most people choose to ignore it because it's easier to go, well, I'm just not going to worry about it. I'll just get rid of it. I'll just push it to the side. I'll get to it later. And you don't. And this is where failure starts to accrue. It accrues in the little tasks that you just don't want to do. So that's how I started to get really clear on it. What do I like doing? What do I not like doing? What can I outsource? And I I guarantee you 100% changed how I did business.
0: What are your thoughts on the idea that maybe you're good at something because you've put the hours in to get good at it versus you're good at it. Therefore, you're just naturally more, more energized about it. So the actual output is more than if you were not quite enjoying yourself so where, where where do you see the the pattern there and what are your thoughts on that
1: yeah so I think um you've probably heard of the 10,000 hour rule so mm-hmm. um yeah one of the idea being that if you want to learn something do it for 10,000 hours you only really do it for 1,000 hours and you're gonna be pretty good at it um so I think it comes down to from from this kind of point of view is that what do you want to learn how to do so I am um, terrible at Photoshop. Like I'm not good at it, but I know I needed to get better and I liked doing it and it was something I had a desire to want to do. So I practiced on Photoshop and I got better at it and like graphic design stuff and got a little bit better and bit, bit better and slightly more improved and watched, you know, docos on it and watched a few YouTube videos. So, you know, if you need to, if you want to get around this stuff, like you definitely need to persevere to it. Um, You don't see people picking up a guitar and being like, oh, I think I might learn this. I'll just give it a thousand hours. No, it's people that want to learn the guitar that sit there for a thousand hours and doing it. So I think it's, again, being clear. Do you want to do it or do you feel like you have to? So, um, but I mean, nothing beats hard work, nothing. So if you need to learn something, it's hard work. It just, there's no way of getting around it. You can't skip to the end. It is just going to be hard work if you need to learn something
0: one of the um, the books that i've recently read said that you've got to like choose what struggle that you have so it's all going to take hard work you're always going to come up against struggles, but the idea behind the the chapter in it was that you actually get to choose it so like you can you can desire something you can want to do something, which means that you're actually prepared to to put the time in and um yeah it's a conversation that I'm having quite a lot because sometimes you've been struggling to do something that other people might have wanted you to do rather than what you wanted to do. So you've got this disconnect between the journey and <clears throat> the thing that <clears throat> you actually want to do. So there's, yeah, it's a bit of a, I guess it's quite a deep conversation for a lot of people that have never, as you said, done the, the work on themselves. So what, was your, what were your revelations and then what was the, the result at the end?
1: Um, what were my revelations? I, you know, I don't know about you, but I learn things every day about myself things that I had no idea about myself and it's such an interesting, I guess during that time it was a bit of an interesting process. I think the the big kind of takeaways for me was around, you know, the uh, the amount of people that sort of say, you know, an overnight success is a possible, I've just got to get the idea. I've just got, I've got to come up with the idea to become an overnight success and it surprises me how many people have that mindset of it's just that one idea that's going to change everything because if you go and have a look at any of the real greats, they've – you know, there's 10 years before you even look at becoming an overnight success. So for me, the big revelation was, you know, I might like doing something, but I'm not, you know, I might, might be, na- I'm naturally good at talking. Here's a good example. I'm very naturally good at talking. My grandma used to joke that I could talk underwater with marbles in my mouth. So, <laughs> you know, I wouldn't shut up most of my no. life. And that's a big thing for me. So speaking was, was easy, but I still had to learn how to do it from stage. I don't know if you've seen good speakers, but they do a few specific things. One, their cadence is very, very low. Like they, they will pay attention to the audience. They will plant their feet. They're not going to pe- like walk up and down. They're not going to, you know, forget where they were at with stories. That's a skill, and that's a skill you have to develop and you have to hone. You have to practice that because naturally that doesn't happen we want to walk, we want to talk, we get nervous, or adrenaline pumps, so we're going to walk up and down the stage, like you have to put the work in for the things as well, so um, even if you are naturally really good at something, you might have to do some work in the background to make yourself better at it.
0: Yeah, I think that that, that all, might also play a part in it as well, like if, if you're good at something and people are telling you that you are good at something, then there's an argument that you might actually not do any of the extra work but then someone that keeps you know trying to be better trying to improve all the time and maybe they get the odd maybe like the odd even negative feedback about something or maybe they get someone that says or oh, maybe if you just did it this way maybe it'd be better next time and and they're actually more likely to to put the work in and then they might even overtake that person and and get better while that person, yeah. well
1: i'm kind of good at it so i don't need to do any extra work I I would totally say to those people out there, look, you know, you might be really, really good at something, but there are people who are hungrier than you, who want it more than you, who are willing to do more work than you. And it's just a numbers game, you know? Like, you might be naturally very good at something and sit sit in a seven out of 10 of skill of that. But if you've got a five and they're doing, you know, 10, 15 hours a week practicing, and they're getting better and better and better, they're going to grow and they're going to become an eight much quicker than you will. You naturally won't develop any further. So unless you're brilliant at something, you know, a tiger woods once got up and said, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm amazing at playing golf. But he said it took him 10,000 hours to learn how to play how he does. Um, you know, Michael, Michael Jordan, very famous for saying, I have missed more shots than I've taken. Yeah. So, you know, you have to, you have to practice this. There's no natural ability. Um, uh, Michael Phelps, an, another amazing, I'm using a lot of sports ones here because I think the 10,000 hour rule really does apply a lot to this, um, is that, you know, he, he trained, he was doing two, three workouts a day where people were doing one. There people were like, no, 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 you can't do that. You're going to overtrain. You're going to overtrain. You're going to hurt yourself. You're going to do this. And he went into the pool and blitzed everyone. It's just a numbers game. If I work five hours a day and you work 10 hours a day, guess what's going to happen? You're going to outwork me in yeah. the first day. It's just a numbers game, you know, get really practical with this. Figure out what you like to do, what you don't like to do. Do you want to get better at it? Yes or no? Okay, make a choice. It's, and, you know, sometimes it's not going to be a choice. You're just going to have to do do the work. Like people, just, I think this is one of the key reasons that people fail is they just under-recognize how... You know, there's just this failure to identify how much work goes into this because it's just a lot.
0: Yeah, I think there's a definite argument for <clears throat> if you make the the choice to find out a bit more about yourself first, and then you're able to make the <clears throat> make the better decisions as well. Like sometimes. <sighs> And you can make the decision put the work in but then not actually achieve what you want but if someone does the the work beforehand and you think okay what am i actually prepared to to do for for 10 hours a day or mm. 10 hours a day or what am i actually gonna <clears throat> want to do that for what am i gonna want to actually spend the time on then i think you're more likely to come up with a, a different answer
1: yeah absolutely wholeheartedly agree with that
0: all right, so last couple of the questions, really. We've spoken about a lot. I mean, I'm, I've i made a lot of notes myself, Jemima. So, uh, Excellent. Yeah. i like, glad to hear it. I'm going to go back through those. Have you got any resources or books that you would recommend for the listeners that maybe they want to learn either about yourself or about the idea of starting the business or taking a, a more varied approach to, to the way they do things?
1: Yeah, so... Um, uh, firstly, start, head over to my website, dot um, and check out, there's a heap of blog posts on there. There's a heap of free downloadables on there. My top tip, top tips for businesses on there as well. Um, you can check that out. If you're looking for, um, a different podcast, go and check out the business experiment, especially if you're in the startup phase, very, very helpful tips and tricks on how to start a business and how to get really across business ideas very, very quickly. Um, and, um, a few recommendations I would definitely give, are. Uh, if you're looking at sort of getting an idea about social media and sales, I would check out jab, 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 right hook by Gary Vaynerchuk. It's a great book. Um, I would say, I would also go and read, uh, feel the fear and do it anyway by Susan Jeffers. There's also another book called grit by Angela Ducksworth. And, um, that's a really, really solid read as well. That's all about how to stick with it when it gets really, really tough in business and building that grit and that, um, resilience in business which I think a lot of people don't have
0: yeah definitely there's definitely that's one of the the common themes I think from the conversation today is you've just got to to understand that it's it's going to take time it's going to take a lot of energy from yourself to build something that's that's worth having I guess and um yeah you've got to put yourself in that position so all right last question for you we are we are quite near the end now so you mentioned your website do you have any social media links or any other thing that you want to mention before we get to that last question
1: yeah so uh instagram jemima ashley um and you can look you can just stalk me pretty much on any of those works I'm on linkedin <laughs> but that's about pretty much it for me i was also on facebook but that's about it <laughs> yeah yeah just just, just stalk me on anything it's fine yeah Yeah. just have fun look you know stalking work for me it can work for you as well (laughs) that's that's
0: one way of putting it okay
1: last question so this is
0: where we can we can open out everything now so there's no it doesn't have to be related to what you said before we can go wild all right jemima so what would you like the world to know about you that it doesn't already know (laughs) (laughs)
1: <laughs> <laughs> that that oh, um, I think I missed my calling as a professional karaoke spe- singer. I think that's what I meant to be doing in my life. I did karaoke on the weekend and I think I would have been very good at that. If that was a full-time career, that would probably be up there. Oh, we should get you on the X factor, shouldn't we? That's what we should do. I would be all about that. My f- Okay. Oh, here's another thing you can know about me. I'll give you t- a couple of things. So I don't get a lot of downtime. Obviously with my career, I do a lot of traveling. I do a lot of speaking gigs. Um, travel internationally a fair bit. My guilty pleasure, and I say that don't say this lightly. My guilty pleasure is watching terrible auditions from like the X Factor and from like American Idol and stuff, because they are the best thing that you can ever find on the internet. I think that whole show should just be terrible people auditioning. <laughs> so, it's, so like you, you got a reason why
0: you listen to those? Like, is it you do it for the the laugh maybe, or um, you I know what I'd what what's it, the motivation for that?
1: I think it just reminds me of being in business, like how many people are like, I've got this. I'm like, you don't got this. You have done nothing. You just think you're really good and that's great. Um I think the laugh act is always good. I think um I think I also enjoy probably the you know you, and you would have met people, Michael, that certainly think that they're much um, further along in the process than they think they are mm, um, yeah. and, you know, who are too big for everybody. I just love watching these people I'm like, are you kidding? Who told you this? Like get some realistic expectations of where you are. I think it's just a reminder for me too to be a bit humble about stuff if you get success. So it's, um, yeah, it's an, interesting, it's an interesting little show. I also really, look, I really like Simon Cowell. I think he's pretty great. He's pretty hilarious. <laughs> so, um a bit of a national treasure, I think, for you. Yeah. Thank you for that. It's fantastic. Yeah,
0: yeah. All right. Well, yeah, I've enjoyed talking to you, uh, Jemima. Thanks for being a guest on the show. I'm sure people that listen, if they want to find out more about you, I'm sure they will go to the links and stalk you as, as you quite want. Well, you want them to, I guess.
1: <laughs> yeah, I do. I do. I do want you to stalk me. Um, I'm sure this will be played in court <laughs> one day. I will have to explain it, but um, yeah. Yeah, so, um, but thank you so much for having me. It's been really, really fun, um, especially chatting all the way to the UK. It's um, great what technology can do these days. I know, it's amazing. All right, Jemima, thanks for being a guest on the show. I'm
0: sure thank we'll you. keep in touch.